recorded live from the mats of radical MMA in New York City, the Martial Culture Podcast. Your source for in-depth combat sports and martial arts insights with, with Coach, Coach Rene Dreyfus and, and Matt Peters. Peters. Ring the bell and let's get it on. Welcome to another episode of the Martial Culture Podcast. We have a sharp podcast for you today. Yeah. <laughs> I've been thinking about that one for a while. Coach Renee is here, and Matt is here, and we have somebody on the line with us. Let's get right to it. Uh, welcome, um, and and it's pronounced Maya Soderholm, right? Is that how say your name correctly? Soderholm. Yes, Soderholm. that was pretty good. I was wondering. I was just like, are they going to dare just say it out loud? <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> I'm going to let Renee go first. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, it's I, Maya, I, uh, yeah, so it's Maya and Soderholm. Oh, got it. So you, you say the L. Got it. Thank you so yes. much for oh, being us. Yes. And and I, I just came out with a wonderful book called The Hustler. And you, um, for people who don't know you, you are very, very well respected uh, in the uh, knife community. I, um, uh, through Barry Eisler, our previous guest and my friend, I, I came to know who you were. And then I saw that you posted this and that. And I did some research, asked some of my friends. And they're like, oh, she is legit and you you know tremendous respect so uh and and what i what i i'd like to go back into your background and just see we were talking before the podcast about how you got into martial arts and and um just your just your general background how 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 you came into training and and then we can delve into your theories of 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 combat and 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 the book itself so so what got you started in 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 training um well I, I, I say it in, in the previous book a little bit. Um, I, I always wanted to be Errol Flynn. I actually know that Basil Rathbone was a better fencer, but, you know, when you're a kid, you just always want to be the hero. So I wanted to be Errol Flynn really badly. Can I, can I, I interrupt you the there? Buckling movies. I yeah. love that you mentioned Errol Flynn and Basil Rathbone, but for our young listeners... <laughs> You know, Google. I know. That's what for, damn it. <laughs> Very famous stars of Robin Hood and a few other movies in the 40s, Captain I guess. Captain Blood. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Captain Blood. Oh, great movie. Yes. yes, yes. And originally uh, so he was... The Three Musketeers. There used to be a British... There was actually, I think it was a French TV show that was on British television with badly dubbed, um, you know, and subtitles called The Flashing Blade. Totally into it. Um, no idea why. So my parents took me to a foil fencing class when I was like nine or ten, I suppose, and um, loved it, thought it was brilliant. Um, so that's how I first started, I suppose, martial arts in general. Um, that didn't really last all the way through high school or anything because I discovered other things that were far more exciting. And then I pretty much didn't do any martial arts until after I left university and... Um, I was working out at a gym that was in the UK, this very, very damp kind of cellar where all the weights were all free weights and rusty, you know, with all kind of old-fashioned hard men that went there. It was a great gym. Anyway, and this one guy was doing this kind of weird set of exercises as to what he was, going, what he was doing, and he was like, oh, I started going to this Tai Chi class. It's really interesting, and that's really helped my weight training. I was like, hmm, that's exciting. And so I started going to Tai Chi, and it was weird. Um, as in, of course, it's the UK again, it's cold and damp. And in my first class, they made you stand in a certain way in whatever we were doing. And I got really hot. And my heart rate went up. And I was like, that's weird. So I kept going back. So um, I did Chinese internal arts, as they're called, for on and off for quite a long time. And um, I don't know why you just keep doing something. In hindsight, I guess that was my thing. 
And then in 2000, now I guess it must have been 1998, I first saw a video of my Filipino teacher, um, his name is Sonny Umpard. And it was as though I'd suddenly found what I had been looking for since I was nine. And I had the immense good fortune to train with him until his premature and early death in 2006. And, um, and since then, I've been sort of carrying on, I suppose. And you, that, that entailed you moving from the UK to, the, to America to train with him? Or was it you just uh, decided to, to, to move over? For no, I, I moved here because I traveled a lot in my late teens and early 20s. And I met some friends. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, so I live in Oakland. And um, I met some friends from here, and that one thing led to another, and I met somebody, and I ended up staying. And uh, one of the reasons I'd come traveling through was indeed martial arts, but not necessarily to find a teacher. There was just a whole bunch of teachers here, and there was somebody related to the guy I was training with in the U.K., I think. And Anyway, it sort of was one of those stories, and then I started looking for more teachers, and one thing led to another, and here I am. Wow, that's wonderful. And do you mind telling us a little bit about your the history of your instructor and his background? Just uh, Sonny? Yes, for those who are not familiar with him. Um, Sonny is from the Visayan Island group of the Philippines from um, Cebu. And um, he, I think his dad was in, in the U.S. Navy, and so he had the option at the age of 21 to get American citizenship. And his parents really encouraged him to do that. And so he moved here, you know, with the citizenship to have a better life in inverted commas. And um, at some point, um, I mean, he trained all the time. It was an incredible passion for him. He decided to start teaching and slowly was teaching. He was actually one of the first people in the Bay Area to teach non-Filipinos, for which he got quite a lot of stick for. But regardless, um, and he got a lot of stick, literally, bit, I'm assuming. Yeah. No, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. That was just a joke. He got so. a lot of stick for it, yes. yes. Arr, arr. <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, but then he, at some point, he actually decided to dedicate his whole life to it and sort of become fairly reclusive. So he taught privately out of his house, which was in a Section 8 apartment down in the project. And we used to train in his living room. Uh, you could only get admission if you knew somebody else that already trained with him and you were introduced um, and were taken to his house. His location of his, his training space was a secret. And um, he was kind of paranoid. Anyway, so it was like there's a real rigmarole to get in with teaching him. But once you were in teaching with him, he's an incredibly generous teacher. I've never seen anybody move around like him with a sword. It was just phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, random happenstance led me to somebody that was already training with him. So I got the opportunity to do so. And his style, would you, I don't want to put names on things because I think that's actually artificial, but um, would you consider it a screamo? Would you consider it Kali if there's a difference? Would you consider it something else? I, I, I know uh, names are. The whole are, Kali debate is all very yeah, political. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I will say is that the Visayan Island group is in the center. He had links through his uncle um, down to Mindanao and then all the way up to Manila. Um, so, and it's also a port, you know, the, the city where he lives is a big port city. So the influences came from everywhere into this port. It's called a screamo just because it happens to be from the Visayan Islands, a screamo or estocada. Um, so it has some Spanish influence, obviously, in there too. But this whole thing with styles, um, I have an opinion on that is um, through Sonny. Like, the opinion comes through what I was told by him. 
and then perhaps mangled a little bit more by my own opinions. But what I understand is that back in the day, there was no system. Okay, yeah. so the Balintawak guys trained on Balintawak Street, so it's called Balintawak. It was really nothing to do with this is the box called Balintawak. So the Delta Paris guys were all a bunch of guys that got together and decided to sort of, you know, collaborate. So this idea of them being separate systems is, is quite new. Back in the day, you know, one of the things that Sonny told me was that I don't teach you, you know, I show you what I do up to that, you know, after that it's up to you and take it and make it yours. Basically, it's like if you lose in a fight, don't blame me. <laughs> Every generation... <laughs> back in the day would change the name of their system to reflect that it was them. And it's nothing to do with ego. It's just like, this isn't my teacher's fault. This is what I came up with. So when he's passed, I'm actually a lineage holder technically in his system. I don't say that I teach with science, Del Corto, Cadena, Largamano, Escrima. I teach what I teach absolutely inspired by the science style, Corto, Cadena, Largamano, Escrima. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I think that's line. what, that's what modern MMA is as well. You know, I, I was just, I was sometimes on Quora and, you know, this thing where people comment and usually the comments are really stupid and silly, but so I don't know why I do it. It's sort of self-flagellation. <laughs> but, um, but then the person said, well, MMA is not well-rounded. And I said, well, you know, it depends how you see MMA. You know, there's, there's the Dog Brothers MMA full contact stick fighting. There's the, there's the MMA um, that's uh, multiple fighters, five on five MMA. There's also the movement of of cross training that was inspired by, a, you know, Russian samba by Bruce Lee by um, the shooto and shoot wrestling guys in Japan. So MMA is this really huge movement that um, started probably, you know, um, modern MMA I should say um, started, you know, probably post war where we had a lot of in integration of what people did and a lot of cross pollination and and the ideas. Just take what works, leave what isn't, make what's make it your own, and that's that's why I think exactly. you know Bruce Lee is considered a a pioneer thinker, but really he wasn't the only one doing that. Uh, however, that that's the person who who I think he he Ellis said it so eloquently: take what works, leave what doesn't, make it your own, and you should make it your own. And 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 this is this is it's funny because I, I started in the traditional martial arts. And what you just said is exactly the origin of karate. So uh, for people who don't know, karate mm -hmm. is actually not Japanese. It's Okinawan. But um, there's uh, two cities, Naha and Shuri. And Shuri is actually the capital. And the original names uh, of styles were the Shuri guys. And then, oh, there's those guys in Naha, those guys. And then there was right. no codification of like this or that or that. It was like, oh, there's the Shuri guys, the, the the Naha guys, and the Tomari guys. And these are just little cities. And that's – yeah, they did this because they lived there. And it wasn't stylistically so different. Although, yeah, because body types were different, people would fight to their strengths, their advantages. Um, it's very different from Japan where there was – you know, Japan has a history of – it's like sort of like also Germanic culture too. It's very, very um, – Organized, you know, the Japanese are very, very organized. It's very different from Okinawan culture, which is, I think, more similar to Filipino culture because it is a more tropical place. Um, it's just it's very different. There's the feudal system is extremely different. It's mercantile based, not not um, agriculture and uh, and and uh, and you know feudal based, right? Um, so so Japan is very very structured, and also it had to do a lot of the structure in Japan has to do with. You know, you you were this job uh, under your lord, and under your lord, you know, you had this title. So, title meant you got this amount of 
you know, rice, uh, which is what you were paid in. You're paid in stipends of rice. So if you didn't have like an official title, you know, you wouldn't get paid. So, you know, like it, 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 it made sense that they would, you know, codify things a little bit more to make titles. Oh, you do this, this, this. So the codification has actually kind of a more economic orientation and a, and a, and a, and a hierarchical, you know, sort of class-based orientation, which is something that really yeah, well, didn't exist in, in, in sorry, Okinawa. I didn't mean to interrupt, but yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? In a yeah. culture where everybody needs to know where everybody is in relation to everybody else. Exactly, right. And, and that's, that has nothing to do with what we're doing today. You know, like it doesn't matter what what um, what lineage you have if you can't fight. <laughs> you know, it's very well, simple. It. Right? I mean, you know, yeah. I can tell you exactly. You know, Sonny knew the the Kanyete brothers. You know, he knew Antian Bacon from the Lintawax. He trained with uh, Raymond Tabosa um, from the Floro Villabrillo style. You know, when he moved here, he's a contemporary of Max Armiento, of Gilbert Tanio, Angel Cabalas, all the all these like famous names. So they all knew each other, you know. Right. I only know one of those names that you mentioned. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say. <laughs> well, anyway, maybe somebody that's listening will yeah. know them all. But, but you know, I, I actually say in, in my book, and I think it's really important, this idea that part of your style evolves from your enemies. It doesn't – it's like the problems that you have to face is also what is – kind of developing why you do what you do, you know. Absolutely. Like when the, the Filipinos met the Spaniards, they're like, oh, the Spanish do that. Hmm, how do we beat that? Let's do this. Or the Jap- Japanese, you know. It's, yeah. it's like everybody's enemies is also going to influence how they look, which I think why the Filipino arts are so rich, because they had a whole bunch of people coming through there, whether it's to trade or to try and invade them. So um, their art is very sophisticated. It gives me, you know, uh, and, and as we spoke about this before the, we started, but I had to say, I opened your book, and the first thing you say is context matters, which is so important and so true. And I, it was just, wow, this is absolutely truth right there. And I was like, that's exactly it. it you know, uh, people fight in certain ways because of their environment, the enemies they face, the, what their materials are uh, allowed, and what materials they have. You know, uh, context absolutely matters. Um, and also body type too. Um, so yep. technology that's available to you, everything. And um, – but uh, but yeah. Um, so please go, go more into your into your bio as well. You you trained. How long did you train with Sunny for? Um, all in all, it was six years privately. Wow. And then he died. He 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 didn't look after himself. The man lived on cigarettes and Coca Cola and candy and Kentucky Fried Chicken and um, basically died at the very early age of fifty eight, which was um, I still haven't really forgiven him for honestly. But uh, yeah, so. Uh, Previous to that, a couple of years training with one of his students. So, and um, and then do you do you teach privately now, or do, do how how do you? Yeah, um, I was given a very interesting challenge when Sonny died. He basically had a stroke six months before he died, and they operated, took some brain tumors out, and basically told him you've got six months to live. We don't, we can't do this. So that last six months, we knew he was going to die. And we were around there a lot, you know, training in his house. I mean, the screamer was his life, so everybody was going over there and playing and stuff. And he was kind of teaching, even though he was sitting or lying down. And um, before he died, he said to me, he's all like, don't teach preset patterns. Don't teach preset drills. I was like, okay. (laughs) So that has actually been my challenge since he died. And so this is a very long way round of answering you, is to say it's very difficult to teach a group of people who it's like teaching dancing if 
you dance with a good dance master, you're going to get pretty good. But if two people don't know what they're doing that are dancing, it's really hard to have them know what they're doing at all. So um, I've tried groups, I've tried small groups, and I've tried privates. And um, it has to be like two to six people or privates. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Yeah. So mostly privates or semi-privates. I, 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 find, I found your book amazing, and I recommend it to any martial arts, even if someone has not done any knife fighting, because it's so, it's so universal, it's so meta. And uh, how you approach training. And um, it's, it's funny. I had an instru- a discussion with, with York, who was just on the podcast last, last week. And, and I said, I'm having this amazing martial artist on today. And, you know, I said, have you ever seen someone, and we're just talking about, like, you're holding pads, and it's all like, jab, cross, jab, blah, 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 and it looks beautiful. And then you see the person, they look amazing on the pads, and then they can't fight. And you're like, mm-hmm. you, we know why that is, because pads are predictable. There, there's a set patterns. It's easy to teach. It's easy to make it look good. But fighting is chaos. Fighting is completely on. Is the epitome of lack of predictability. So, the whole concept of developing fighting skill is to stay away from the predictable. Now, that being said, yeah. how do you how do you do that? And it, it's very hard to do. It's very hard to teach. You know, I have a class. I just came from a class of of forty thirty five people. I'm like, how do I give these guys the tools they need to deal with? the lack of predictability in a fight. And it's always my challenge. And your book is just so um, amazing in how it codifies that, that idea. But I don't want to uh, take away from you, please. When, what was the inspiration to write the, your previous book and this book? Was it to expand on that philosophy or to critique martial arts out there? Or um, how, how did you, how did you? Training with Sunny, training with Sunny changed my life. I can't, you know, it was kind of like, I went in, no idea what was going on. I spent six years basically feeling like I had my fingers stuck in an electrical outlet and so just left in my hair standing on end. And I don't know, maybe like four years in, I'd say I suddenly started to get what he was trying to do and I was like, holy shit. It was like having somebody take a bag off your head and saying, what do you see now? And I was like, whoa. I mean, he literally changed the way my mind saw. It was like a weird matrix moment or something weird. And what I wanted to do when I was writing was give people a sense of that. In in the book that you just read, I put a story at the end that I wrote, like pretty much right after he died of what, it, what the experience was like of training with him. And it was, it was crazy. Because even though he didn't articulate it this way, his the theory that he kind of worked with, and you'll actually notice, I don't know if you're a fan of Steve Morris in the UK, some of his work talks about this, is that the human brain is incredibly good at maneuvering itself in space and um, not necessarily predicting stuff, but adapting itself to incoming stimulus. If you stimulate it in the right way, you'll get a good reaction without you really training it. So if I throw a tennis ball at your head enough times, you're going to get real good at dodging it. I don't have to say, when you see my hand do this, slightly duck, step out to the left and shift your weight, right? I just have to throw the ball at your head and you're like, ooh. And so Sonny's whole thing was that he would limit the unpredictability, but there was always some unpredictability. Whether the predictability was, I'm going to do left or right, you don't know which one is going to be one of those two. Or if it was, I'm going to either hit now or I'm going to hit not now. That's another predictability. So he really put things in pairs. So even right from the beginning, you started to be all like, is it going to come from the right or the left? I don't know. So already your brain's in that, that, that kind of position to learn how to predict from clues. And it's not like you're intellectually going, oh, 
that person slightly sort of switches their feet or twitches their shoulder back right before they throw that. Your body is just understanding that visual information without having to intellectually think about it so that it can recognize that pattern the next time that it happens or technically probably not next time, but enough times down enough the road times, that yeah. you practice it enough. And, and to me, it's those intangibles that make fighting skill. It's not, yeah, yeah. That's what it is, and it's you know, I'm I'm more of a right now. I, I've done many martial arts. I probably don't know that much about me, but but I've done many martial arts. But I'm very well known right now. I'm in the jujitsu for my jujitsu teaching. Although that's not what I do. My judo teaching, right, and MMA, right. So it's more grappling based. But um, the idea is is you know um, to get to the point of flowing where it's just back and forth. And I'm working with my team, and I'm like, okay make a flow drill it should never look the same so i'm telling the guys it has to get them ready to that but okay we, we, we train them enough time so that we can see that flowing pattern and you see also you look at the highest level boxing instructors they're not like jab cross it's sort of like we're going to do a flow we're going to do a flow we're just going to go you're not going to know what's going to happen but you're going to be able by seeing these little little clues unconsciously, primi- primarily unconsciously, because over time you just pick up that sense of oh, this is this what he's doing. Oh, I slipped here, pop, pop, pop. And you know, I was I I think that's you really key on something. The problem I have is ninety nine percent of martial arts schools do not do that at all. It's everything well, is set yeah, no, yeah, and this yeah. and this. And <laughs> funny you said that your opinions are a little bit unpopular before the podcast. I'm like, I can see why. <laughs> but but go go I, I don't want to over speak with you. I'm very excited to talk with you. So please uh, go on and 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 how how you feel you can deal deal d- develop someone to understand those patterns, those unconscious movements and to get that those intangibles of fighting skill. Yeah, I mean in a way, if there's some connection that people could kind of relate to, it's like our random flow training, which is what we call it, random flow training. Flow training to me sometimes gets misunderstood as I do this thing and you smoothly move to the next thing. So I do the next thing and you do the next thing. That's not what I mean. It just means that everything has to happen in time, you know, during, you know, things moving around in a fairly randomized pattern or, you know, however you want, but things are going to happen in time. Um, is, is, uh, in sword fighting or sword play, we do it from a distance without contact, but BJJ does it all the time when people roll. So it would be the equivalent of rolling with somebody really good that is maybe trying to teach you a concept and has already a, you know, a few things online that they're going to do and they say, all right, well, either this is going to happen or that is going to happen. And then they can do it on the other person at such a speed that the other person goes, oh, that's this one. You know, so this is my counter or whatever it is, right? Right. So that's what it felt like to me doing the sword stuff was getting my eyes in, if you like, as, you know, instead of kinesthetically, my, you know, the touch sense down. And Sonny would call it, there were two phases, basically, that your first job was to learn how to read. And by that, he meant oh, it's coming in from the right or the left. It's like I start to understand, you know, what's going to happen, what's an attack, what's going to hit me, am I in danger, do I need to block that? All those questions that come up. It's like, is this important? Is it not important? You know, that sort of stuff. Is my hand, you know, a target? You know, blah, blah, blah. So that's stage one. And the other stage, because I don't want people to think that this is purely about reactive stuff, because I think that is the thing that most people mistake when um, I talk about defense and 
listening and reading and all that stuff is that once you've got that down, the next step is that you start to make people do things which means that I'm actually setting you up, I'm setting traps. It's like my whole strategy is basically to force you into that overhand right strike or whatever the thing is that I'm trying to make you do. But if I can make you do that, I know what you're going to do next. And, you know, again, quote Sonny, is like if I know what you're going to do next, I can beat you. I love the term you use in your book. You use the term trichnology. And uh, I think (laughs) it's like, it's perfect. Yeah, I want to say that. Oh, it's not. Yeah. TJ Obi for that one. <laughs> okay, great. But it's that's exactly I mean, I think that's pretty much what all jiu-jitsu is based on judo. And when I say jiu-jitsu, I mean the the larger grappling arts that you know, it's like you 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 incentivize your opponent to do something stupid or to do what what maybe even not stupid, do something that you know you 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 the, you, so that you can predict that move and then and then counter put him in the trap. So, um I would say I think a minimum of 3 steps ahead. And the third is what I'm always going for, but sometimes I see, I, I'm actually nine or 10 steps ahead, you know? Yeah. And if, yeah. But, you know, eventually when you get really good, it actually doesn't matter. It's like, I don't yeah. care if you go left or right here because I have answers to both. Yeah. Does that mean so? It's, like, it's like everything actually has a gift in every, every movement has a gift inserted in it. I don't know what it's like with grappling, but every time in striking arts, I am striking. There's part of my defense that's missing. So, and technically, there's an opportunity every time somebody does something. If they just defend, awesome. If they're always attacking, they're always open. You know, so there's Absolutely. always something. So you you start to care less exactly what they do. You, you make them. You want to go left or right? Because I don't care. Because oh, yeah, got you going. <laughs> no, we we, we, we we you're absolutely right. It is exactly the same. And that's that's one thing I love about your book is that I'm 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 reading a jiu-jitsu book, even though it's not. But it's it's a universal yeah. like every judo guy should read it, every judo guy should read it, every martial artist should read it because I think high level striking, high level striking, tri- you know, technical trickery based striking is exactly the same thing, not the kind of brawling that sometimes we see. But I know, I know, well, exactly. Matt, I mean, you look at Lomachenko, yeah, exactly. Know, Lomachenko, right? I mean, I, yeah. there you go. That's yeah. a great example. Yeah, and even even Terence Crawford, he he he, I, I you know, I, I see a lot of what he does. It's not quite the same level as Lomachenko, but you see a lot of little traps, little sets, you know, this and that. And, and any any good tactical fighter is going going to that. But definitely Lomachenko is like my absolute favorite. <laughs> I love I know, to watch I him. Uh, yeah, and yes. Uh, Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, Matt, do you do you have anything? I am out of my depth here. I'm enjoying the conversation. <laughs> I'm going to ask a stupid question about like fruit ninja or dicing vegetables. Uh, fruit ninja. <laughs> you, ever, you, ever, you ever played fruit ninja? <laughs> <laughs> no. You know, it's like it's like Matt before the podcast started. He's like, "Gosh, she must be amazing in the kitchen dicing up the vegetables." I'm like, I don't know if you should say that. <laughs> No, 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 it's good, it's good. No, no, listen, weirdly, weirdly, I will tell you this. Most people use a blade as though they never cooked in the kitchen. Hmm. You know what I mean? I I don't, I don't, I don't follow you. like it's a club. Oh, like, like, I see. Right, it's like if you are cutting the Sunday roast or if you are slicing bread or you're doing tomatoes for your salad or something, it's like, how do you use your knife? You're not like hack, hack, hack. It's like you can, if you're butchering bones and cutting through bones, there's no way to cut. Does that make sense? It's like absolutely. People forget how to use knives when they put them in their hand and their face with another person. Put them in the kitchen and they use them completely differently. Everybody knows how to use knives in the kitchen. 
well, I mean, I'm sure there's probably some people that don't, but... Yeah, I, I'm on the I don't it's so the well. <laughs> it's like, actually, the kitchen is a fairly good place to pay attention. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. The only time I've been once in my life attacked by someone with a knife, it was more like a shank, but he was really trying to slash me because obviously he was not a stronger person. Uh, he was trying to mug me and slash me and steal what I believe steal my watch. I don't know what was in his head, but um, but it was it was a, a very light slashing attack, but still sh- sh- sheared right through my Brooks Brothers suit, which to this day pissed me off because that thing was really <laughs> expensive. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but, shanking, uh, shanking is definitely revolves no skill. Before we we should we should talk about that a little bit because I, I do want to clarify about that. Please but carry on with this. No, 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 no. That's it. No, but it was it was very. Um, it was very slash like not and 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 I, I I mean it was so quick it's happened so quick, but it was very slashing rather than like blunt force trauma you know very very fast yeah. and and very fast and and uh, and unexpected you know I was walking I was I used to work as a translator and I was walking to a, a job where I had to interpret and uh, and then just I'm okay I'm okay boom I'm in a fight for my life you know it was just that was. Uh, that was the only time I've ever experienced that, uh, and um, but is exactly what you said. It it was it was more it was it was not like the same energy as someone trying to like throw a haymaker. It was very fast and slash like you know, for lack of a better yeah, word. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, yeah, and that's the other weird thing. I think real blades are, are are a very different thing. Most people that have been around like swords and stuff, if somebody puts one in their hand, everybody else is going to back out a little bit. It's a little bit like firearms. It's like you respect this thing and what it can do. It's only real idiots who are like, oh, what's this? And they start flailing around with it. I don't know how many people I know that have cut themselves on their own blades. But like, oh, look, it's sharp. You know, I lived um, in Japan. It's funny. I lived in Japan, and I, I used to be very good friends with a lot of Iaido uh, people who trained with Shinken, with real blades. And the first thing they say is, this is how you remove and put back your blade without cutting your thumb off. And it's like you do that yep. for a long time because it's so easy to cut your thumb. And even masters, like you know, I um, I did this a thousand times, and then I just lost my focus for a second, and I almost chopped my thumb off. And it's <laughs> like, wow, you know. So yes, I, I real blades. You, you you very different world, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I also think that there's some kind of if you believe in genetic memory that there's everybody knows about. Oh, else they just cut themselves or something, but. I, it gives me a sort of a weird adrenalized feeling being around live blades. It's like live firearms. I mean, yeah, you get more comfortable with them and stuff and you can move them around, but there's, there's a visceral sensation when you see one. And I bet, you know, in a chaotic situation, one coming out, it changes things. It changes your mental approach to something, if that makes sense. I, Absolutely. And I think that all humans have some sense of that unless they're really not connected to the bodies and minds. Right. No, no, you're right. You're right. There's, there's our primal sense of threat perception is not create, uh, uh, um, not related to our cerebral cortex. It's, it's more in our reptilian brain. And I absolutely yeah. believe that we, we can recognize threats like the way, uh, um, you know, insect recognizes. Oh, this is a, this is a, poisonous flower or, you know, a, a Venus flytrap. You know, this is sort of like, I don't want to call it the spider sense, but we have these, these neurological pathways that are over thousands of millions of years of evolution that you can recognize threats and you can see this might might uh, work with emotionally disturbed persons and mentally mentally uh, challenged individuals people who are dealing with like schizophrenia or uh, something like that but their sense of threat 
is still there. Now, sometimes they choose to ignore it, but you know, I've walked into rooms where people are completely schizophrenic, and a, if a large person the size of Matt, Matt is very big and, and looks kind of intimidating, um, even though he has a big baby face. <laughs> but you know, if someone walks in, they instantly give them more respect than they would me, who's a bit smaller. Um, because it just, it just, size oh, matters. it's a bit, yeah, size matters. It's, it's genetic. It, it <laughs> happens even with people who are dealing with severe, you know, um, men, mental handicaps, you know, that, that can't perceive reality, but it, it's not your cerebral cortex. It's your, your, you know, limbic system, your, your, your reptilian brain. So I absolutely am certain that's true for blades, although I can't speak from personal experience, you know, it's very well, interesting. Yeah. Point. I mean, yeah. yeah, I've only played with live blades with other people. I mean, Sonny and I floated live blades once um he kind of lost his temper at something was going on and then he's like okay everybody really needs to focus and i was like oh no <laughs> um <laughs> lost his temper what martial arts instructors so, lose their temper i i, I don't i don't know who does that <laughs> if you know me I, people yeah, people they're, they're <laughs> saints, especially this old generation i write about in the, that in the book too these old guys are not saints by any means yeah. um so so it, you you talk. Let's go back on the uh, concept of developing the 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 flow and and just on a more a little bit more critical. What are the, some of the opinions you have that are very controversial that you would say that you know that got you kind of in trouble? But I would say just just good truth talking. You know, uh, uh, Schopenhauer has those three elements of truth. There's like, um, uh, you know, absolute um, ridicule. Then there's super denial defensiveness and denial and then there's like acceptance of oh of course i knew that <laughs> you know but uh but i think we're in the in the in the realm where a lot of people are listening to what you or some other people have to say and they're they're in the second stage of no 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 where actually you know it's true but but what are some of the more con- controversial uh uh sayings that or things that you see and the mistakes you see in people's training that way some of our listeners can can kind of learn and maybe improve their training methods well, you know, one, obviously the most important one is the idea of no preset drills. Like, how could you learn anything if there's no preset drills? And um, that is slightly misunderstood. I think the way that I separate them is that solo practice or practice that is about weapon manipulation. It is about um, accuracy. It's about some attribute that you're practicing you can practice things on a target. You can practice things over and over again just to feel transitions, that kind of stuff. Um, if you're learning just to have your balance in your footwork, you can definitely practice stuff over and over again with a partner just to get the positioning and the angle and everything right. But you really have to separate those things off from tactical ideas. Um, so... I don't like to do a lot of partner practice that isn't contextual at all. And I think that makes a lot of people glitch a lot. You know, all these people that do um, Sinawali patterns, for instance, which in uh, Filipino arts, you'll see people doing them with sticks where it's like, do this, hit, this, hit, this, hit, that, hit. You're kind of alternating. Yeah. And they're both standing in front of each other, banging sticks in the air. And it, it, it looks um, so beautiful. It's like amazing. You're like anybody who doesn't know martial arts, like, oh my God, that's so cool. It's like the coolest pad work. And you're like, yeah, but that'll never get you better. It'll never get you no. better. It's too, yeah, it looks great. And it's, but it's bullshit. Sorry. It's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it's bullshit. And it's getting you into some bad habits. Yeah. I can see why the drill was developed because probably those combinations between one, the first strike and the second strike or the second and the third strike or whatever, 
probably have validity in that the other person may be going for that opening next. And so therefore, if you do that after this, it's a good idea. Like I can understand why they evolved, but mostly you're never going to be face to face, square on with somebody banging sticks in space. So if that's what you're used to seeing and reacting to, you've developed nothing in your body or your you know, senses to pick out when that thing happens or why it happens or what to do next, right? And, and you're also setting yourself up to fail if the other person screws with the timing. Right, right, yeah, exactly. Not to do yeah. a two after a one or whatever. You're, you're, you're dealing with, a, you know, I like to say there's a difference between, um, you know, Mozart's uh, 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 The Magic Flute, right, or whatever he composed, and jazz. And, you know, the, yeah. everything is set. You do this, do this. Of course, there's some interpretation, but you're basically doing this. And that's my problem with martial arts katas, where it's like, which has become a thing in itself. But it's like, you know, uh, a lot of my research has shown that um, the, the reason kata exists has nothing to do with fighting prowess. It had to do with health development and coordination development prior Ooh, to. I slightly disagree with that. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, please. <laughs> I mean, yes, I think it's good, but I think cartas come after you know what you're doing as a way to preserve knowledge. It, that that is what I think. Cartas are incredibly useful if you go back to them after you know how to fight and you know how to deal with a chaotic situation. They're like, oh wow, look, that's totally in there and that. Oh look, and that's teaching you that thing that everybody does wrong, because you know shifting the weight there and to the left is really important before you do this thing. Does that make sense? So it's kind of like a troubleshooting framework, but you have to learn how to fight first. This is why cards were invented. They weren't invented as a way to fight, to learn how to fight. Right. They I, were just a way of examining them after the fact. It's funny because you, you do come from more, more the, the, the Chinese martial art tradition. I cannot speak to that tradition. My research is mostly evolved in the Japanese tradition, but I can say that this is, this is how I, I've seen it. And, you know, I deal with a lot of the, the primary sources and the material. And most martial arts that you see only had one cut. It's only that they've been codified and like one, one, one style now has like 12 or 13, but really there's one or two. And what it was is, you know, if you, you look back at, you know, 15, 20 or something, well, what happens is you're probably dealing with a society where, all right, your average Japanese or whatever doesn't have access to a lot of meat, doesn't have access to a lot of healthcare. So he probably has something like worms or dysentery or, Maybe, you know, depending on the cleanliness of the place or, you know, he, he just very underweight and didn't have understanding of the physical training methods to develop strength. So what you could see is the, 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 a lot of the kata, not all, but things like sanchin and karate, things like that, were to develop the physicality needed to, to do the moves. And then they would do uh, uh, partner drills. A lot of the karate was like one-on-one -on -one partner drills then. So it was a one kata, just one per style, just one. You do that as like your strength development or your coordination develop when you're a kid. And then we start doing these partner drills. And then we start doing the jazz, the, what would be more like, you know, holding pads or this or combat, combative movement uh, uh, later. And, and to me, that, is, that is what I've seen in the Japanese tradition. I cannot speak for the Chinese tradition. And I know in Chinese tradition, they have a lot of like two-person partner drills, something I've never done. Um, yeah, but yeah. They're, 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 it's exactly the same kind of idea, like as far as the arc of teaching. Mm -hmm. And I guess if, if that relates to what I think, I think culture are totally valid, but I don't think you should teach that way. <laughs> I mean, it's hard because then people don't really know how to fight, but I do think you want to separate the ideas out. And what I mean about all the fighting stuff is in there, that it's not just health, is I have done so many moves that I've since gone, oh, my goodness, I saw that in a Tai Chi sword form, or like, here I am in this position 
and I I know that's totally in that other form. Yeah. I start. I Bagua Zhang is another art that is related to Tai Chi. It's all about walking around in circles. Um, it's actually my favorite Chinese internal art because um, the footwork totally crosses over. And for the longest time, I was taught it as an empty hand art. After yeah. I trained with Sunny, I put a sword in my hand and started oh, to do everything a sword in my hand. I, I was like, wow. Exactly. <laughs> the, the Chinese martial arts, most, this is what I have to say is my controversy. Most Chinese martial arts make very little sense unarmed. But when you put swords yeah. or knives in there, they suddenly make a lot of sense. There's certain things you would never, do. ever, ever do in unarmed fighting that you can do all the time in knife or sword fighting. Uh, and and Bagua with its you know trigram pattern footwork makes a tremendous sense, and it's also similar to some of the Filipino footwork I've seen. You know, um, well, yeah, I mean, conceptually, it's like toe in, toe out, yeah. straight forward or heel. Do you know what I mean like it's like yeah, okay, but yes, it is. I think is where as far as the way yeah, where it's you'll never ever see that type of footwork in a wrestling room. You'll never see it in a judo room. And you'll never see it in a in a jiu-jitsu school, and or in very. I wouldn't see it too much in a boxing or kickboxing for. But you would see it in a sway jazz school. Um. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's possible. I. I would. Yeah, I would. So just because yeah. my my lineage yeah. comes from a sway jazz lineage. Yeah. So yeah. if you Chinese look at the setups for throws and stuff, yeah. and the counters to I see what the you first mean. thing, With not like, working thing, the second thing. Yeah. yeah, I see what you mean because it has the cross step over. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, I could yeah. see that. Yeah, I could totally see that. I'll send you a couple of yeah. clips if you're interested. I am very interested, very interested, and and okay, definitely cool. I, I could see what you're saying uh, in in terms of in terms of uh, adding in the grappling uh, for the for the cross step. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, that's fascinating. It's really, really nice to talk to someone who also, like, we agree, but we also disagree to have a really great conversation. <laughs> no, no, it's great because, you know, I don't like – I like to have people test me on my opinions and, and say, well, let's bring some, some validity to our discussion. But, um, but um, so, so uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't oh, – yeah, so yeah, 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 drills. Go ahead. Yeah, please. I, one question I have. This no, is, no, so- Go ahead, yeah, go please. Ahead. No, all right. So one thing I find when I'm teaching is, of course, I want to introduce chaoticism and and uh, you know being able to make decisions on the fly or just move and flow. But when I'm fight, when I'm teaching people who, for say, for example, um, I'm teaching someone who is, um, they have no sense of combat. You know, they have no sense of of, of movement. Um, they are, they need to be broken down and given a pattern because you know comfort especially mental comfort comes from the predictability so what i do in my class when i'm doing raw beginners raw beginners is i give them some sort of you know like pattern movement and then we start we break then we break the pattern and it's like well actually here but i don't do that for too long but it's just for a sense of coordination and understanding balance and a little bit of precision. And I find that if I go too early to the chaoticism, um, uh, it, 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 it actually like what happens is, is I've seen jiu-jitsu schools, just I'll talk jiu-jitsu schools, they go right into the fire and they roll. And the person doesn't know what to do. So what they do is they kind of panic. They get this like little panic response from the pain and the fear. And then they, they become like spazzy grappler. So they 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 they... they are sloppy. They can be com- combat effective in some ways, but they're sloppy. And then about three years in, they hit a wall and they never get better. So I always am afraid of that part where if you throw them into the fire too much without some sort of structure, and I don't free spar. I do these like very specific positional sparring. Like, okay, you're just here. He's trying to do this. You're trying to do that. And I add some resistance because I want to avoid that like 
um, spazzy grappler syndrome or spazzy fighter where it's like they, they, they're they like you, you, they just get tense and they move and they you know I had I had a friend um, come visit the academy and and um, he's training at another school and, and he's a great guy he's training really hard but I noticed as he came in you know there was some really bad habits that he picked up he's, he moved it to another place but he, he because they, they're like it's all about hard sparring hard sparring but I'm like oh, you're not really moving in a clean way and you're going to get to this point where you're just not going to progress and you're going to kind of yeah, get I mean, stagnant. I, 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 yeah. I what mean, do you, I what you feel saying. about it? You know what I I'm mean, saying, right? Um, yeah. Uh, if you, I, you said you were going to get the first book that I wrote, that actually has some drills in it so you'll see how I do stuff. Um, I would suggest that there's drills that don't have to be repetitive pattern that aren't super chaotic. Um, I also, like I said before, like the idea that there's only one element of chaos in that it's either left or right or right. it's now or not now. Um, really, the first thing I teach people is, are you in range? It's like, what's dangerous, what isn't? And they get their eyes in pretty quick about how far away they have to stand. And then that's just one thing that's constantly there that they have to think about. Um, our system never start, starts from standing still. We have this thing called pendulum footwork, which, like it sounds, is like a pendulum and it swings into range and it swings out of range. So basically you're stepping in and then you're stepping out. And it has this kind of wave feel. So instead of it stopping when it's in range and then stopping at the back end, it's just continuous. I cannot um, wait to train a with you. We straight line before we go around in a circle, that kind yeah. of stuff. So that gets added. So now you've got to be out of range, but as stuff's moving, okay, maybe on a straight line. Now we're going, you've got to be in and out of range as we're going around in a circle, you know, or just like changing directions, okay, that's another thing. So suddenly you can do these very simple attributes without having to make them, okay, step left, step right, step left, step right. Does that make sense? So yeah, it, it, it absolutely makes sense. It doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah, no, um, the it's other fantastic. Thing that I really like doing is having a feeder and a receiver so people have different jobs yeah. and that I believe that that does tend to stop the chaos in a certain way I, it's either I, reciprocal like I do this and you do that and now we switch no. or you know we'll do like I'll do 10 of these and you do 10 of those and then you know we'll come back yeah no I I, um, I absolutely 100% understand what you're saying and it's it's fantastic and and I love that I'm imagining the footwork right now and it's very simple it's very similar to how I see striking footwork where it's Number one, you're managing the, the distance and understanding where the first thing I teach, the very first thing is, are you in range to get hit? If you are, get out of range. Okay, if you're in yeah. that range and you can't get out, then you go in close. But you're mastering the range. Fighting is about mastering the range. And, and I totally see exactly what you're doing. It's it's fantastic, right? Can't wait to, I'm going to go to, I'm going to say it, I'm going to go to California. I'm going to pay you a visit if you don't mind. And I'm going to be a student. Like you're, you're welcome. I totally get what you're saying. And I think that's really under, it's important where if you're a teacher or you're a tra student and all you're doing is just repeating over and over again, and there's a place for repetition. You know, sometimes I do things because I want my students to just really, really get in into uh, a clean movement pattern. So it's like, okay, sweep, do it again, do it again. Make sure the, it's the precision, but it's practicing the movement. It's not sparring. You know, it's not, there's nothing, we're just learning how to move your own body, but we have to break out of that pretty soon and make sure that um, that we, we can understand how combat really works. It's not dead. It's, it's you know, the... Um, yeah, but so, so, yeah. so here's a question for you. So sure. they are teaching like a, a sweep, right? Yeah. Um, 
the, the, the action that you're trying to perform is the action that you're trying to perform. It's just the, like the one thing. Right. But it's pretty easy to have the other person only give you certain moments where it's actually going to happen. Right. This is how and I teach this. It's even easier if the other person's much better and going all the times that you're missing it in the time is to go now, you know, yeah. now, oh, there it was, you know, right. there you got it. You know? Right. So you can make it randomized into in the fact that there's only a certain moment in time that it actually works on every kind yeah. of in-and-out pendulum footwork or something. Yeah, no. I, so I, that, again, is a randomized element. I totally I totally see what you're saying. What I do is when I teach a sweep is I never I never teach a, a move in alone. I always teach them either in pairs or in triples to begin with, even the first – they're never alone. It's So it's like – before I teach this a sweep or throw, it's how do you how do you make create the action reaction, which is you know the basic principle of judo, you know action reaction. How do I create? So I go left, I push him left. If he doesn't move, well we have this pressure on his shoulder, and he's gonna you exactly. know break his shoulder. Now he comes in, and now you hit the sweep because he destabilized the other direction. So he went right for you. He gave you right. Where was this trap? Now if if he didn't react, so what I, I like to do is okay he reacts or he doesn't. You know like, but. I, I stop. I'm like, make sure you do the reaction correctly so that they get the create the create the the right. If you don't give them the right energy, they can't do the move. So I let everybody yeah, no, know. The stimulus, the correct stimulus has to be given. Otherwise exactly. It's, it's like somebody not aiming at your head when they're striking towards you. It's just oh, like, yeah. I you know, Maya, it's so that, funny yeah. because I just left. I was just talking to someone. I'm like, don't hit my hands. Hit my head. Like, cause I had my hands up and I'm like, don't hit my hands. That's pad work. Don't hit my face. Because like I was telling him, aim at my face and I will react like a fight. And, and he's like, cause he kept hitting my hands. I'm like, don't hit my hands, hit my head. Because, you know, he's thinking pads, you know, I'm like, no, 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 let's try. It's right. funny. You should just say that. It was amazing. Like I actually don't hold pads for my fighters. I say, hit me in the face and I'll block. And then you counter me and I'll block that or, or you hit me. Just don't hit me hard. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> so. Great. Uh, yeah, no, I like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's the same thing. Yeah. But but yet it's hard to get to that level. Like I, I the thing is I worry about and and we I want to have you on again. This is amazing, but so, like I get these people and and first of all, I notice that you know with our sedentary culture and and they they are sometimes a little bit overweight or they they have no balance, they have no athleticism. And I'm like, "Okay, this is how you don't fall over." I was teaching this kid and as he's walking down the stairs, just regular stairs. And he falls, almost hits his head. I have to grab his head, and then his head smashes into my thumb, and my thumb hits the banister, and I break my thumb. Because <laughs> I have to save him. I'm like, how am I going to teach this kid? <laughs> like, he just can't even walk downstairs. So I'm like, okay, all right, all right. And now we're going to keep it really simple. And I didn't introduce any randomization because he just has to learn his body first. You know, like, it's not even, we're not even at that zone yet. And that's, that's what I find is even at the, a little bit higher level, where the instructors are not like this is how they do in Brazil. In Brazil, it's like I'll teach you move for five seconds, and now we fight. And they try to throw yeah. all this information at you and just see what sticks on the board, and then you just learn through fighting. But it's like it develops yeah, spazziness. No, I, yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I absolutely agree with you. Sorry, yeah. I'm interrupting you. No, go ahead. No, please. So I can't remember if I wrote in this book or if it's another one, but I basically said that you've got to learn your internal connections, and then you've got to. Con- connect yourself to gravity so that you've got balance and can freaking move. And then you have to connect yourself to the weapon so that you and the weapon and gravity and everything's kind of connected so you can move everything where you want it to go. And then you connect to the opponent. So there's all these connections that you have to move on and, you know, have to work on. 
And I absolutely agree that there has to be some stuff that's all about you. It's like, can I stand on one leg with 100% of my weight on one leg? Yeah. You know, can I pivot on the ball of my foot? All this kind of stuff. Can I do it without falling over and keeping my balance? Da, 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 da. And, but then you, you, you've got this. And then as I'm stepping, can I grab my weight and do stuff? You know, blah, blah. You know, then there's, can I do this with my sword and move my left hand and blah, blah, blah. And then there's me and the, the other person with the range and the timing and all that stuff that is connected to that. So, yeah, absolutely different sections. I agree. Um, can I say two things? Because it course. was in my head and otherwise I'm going to forget to talk about them. One is the importance of defense first, going back to what you asked me about, what is controversial to most people. And the other one is I will say straight up front that Sonny's method or the way that I teach is not for everybody. It's not going to necessarily keep students. It is a difficult way to learn. I learned pretty much on the cusp of failure for four years. I had no idea what was going on, and I kept going back because it bothered me that I didn't know and I wanted to know. There was a whole other bunch of other people, not a whole bunch, but there was like definitely a handful of people that couldn't hack it and left. So it's Because it's easy. real. Because it's real. Real is not yeah. easy. You know, easy is the katas and the belts and this and that. And then, oh, People set patterns. People patterns. It's comforting. Yeah. You know, comfort. you, you have it. It's very satisfying doing it. And it I makes you more money. With it. If it gives you a jazz, but it's not the real thing. Yeah, it's no. not the real thing. It makes money. And, you know, I think a lot of martial arts in the business of making people happy, not teaching them functional yeah. skills. They're just making them go yeah, home. Yeah, fine. But, but yeah. just understand that the limitation is there. Yeah. Um, no, please go. And I love the concept. The first thing, the very first thing. Um, the, that they teach you if you train with anybody who's from the Elio Gracie side of jiu-jitsu is defense, 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 defense. You don't have to win. I didn't know that. No, you don't have to win. Elio Gracie's idea is I don't have to win. All I have to do is not lose. I don't have to win. I just have to not lose. So that's right. you know um, very important part of Elio Gracie's style of, of, of jiu-jitsu where it's very, I wouldn't say passive, but very defense-oriented first. Everything is defense, defense, defense. And I try to keep that uh, as well in, in, in my school as well. Very strong element defense. Don't get hit. You know, a lot of times Brazilian jiu-jitsu has changed right now. And now it's like, you know, I had one student, he trained another academy and he shot in for what we call single leg takedown. And he get hit. He got hit. And I call it same, I call it kamikaze. Don't kamikaze. So he's on the single, and the guy's getting hitting him. And he lets him hit again, and he finishes the single. Then, but he was hit like twelve times. I'm like, maybe not twelve, but yeah. whatever. But I'm like, you think you got it, but he's not really hitting you hard. But really, what happened was you just lost this fight. But you kamikaze in, and because we're not hitting you hard, you don't really understand that. But if you get hit, don't get hit again. Right, you know, don't get hit, mm -hmm. but if you do get hit, don't get hit again. And I think that that's something I, I really appreciate in, in your book too. It's like, if you're dealing with a, a weapon, the first and foremost thing is live. <laughs> Go away. And yeah, I love your, I love how you talk about like, forget, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, I love how you talk about how like a lot of combat is, is about like, you know, dominance and these kind of more psychological factors rather than just simply self-defense. But it, it does these things of like, who's the alpha, who's this? And well, that term is kind of controversial, but you know what I'm saying? You know, it, it's these these patterns of these rituals of dominance and establishing pecking order, especially with animal populations, how you can see that's code wired into us. And so we don't realize that, oh, hey, if I keep on going this, I'm actually going to die. I'm not in a dominance ritual I'm in life or death, and I can't fight the same. Yeah, way. yeah. It's it's. Your, yeah, I don't I mean, want to ruin your book, but everyone should. I that. said, like, you know, one of my. Sorry, I'm over. I'm talking over you. I'll shut up. No, sorry, please go, go ahead. Carry on. No, no, you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's one of my favorite quotes: "Is a dying second is not a win." 
you know, you don't die to kill, right? That that's that's daft. It's like, yeah, if you have to die because you're already dead, take them with you, but don't do it the other way around. <laughs> and um, you had a quote, I think you said from, I think in the Barry Isler podcast, you were talking about a quote from Rodney King about the ego fighting. Yeah. You know, that's what it is. Dominance fighting is basically, I'm not going to let this person dominate me, and so I'm going to behave in a certain manner. And you forget that that dominance fighting has nothing to do with death. Yes. In the wild, animals do not kill each other for dominance. They kill to eat. They kill for a whole bunch of other reasons, but they don't kill each other to be the top lion in the pride or the top wolf or whatever it is. That's like a non-lethal interaction. Um, and so if you behave that way when there's death on the table, then you're kind of screwed because all your tactics are fighting the wrong fight. There was an incident right uh, about a week ago in um, in the Bronx, which is uh, north of New York, um, and, uh, I have been to New York. City. Oh yeah, I know I'm, where I'm, that is. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I'm kind of thrown off by the British accent. I'm like thinking, you know, I've never been to New York or something. But, but of course, you've traveled <laughs> the world. I'm sorry. But so, so he's in the Bronx, and a guy bumps the other person in, a, in the subway, and the guy's like, "Why are you bumping?" And it wound up that the other person slashed the throat, and he died. So you you thought wow. there was in this dominance moment, and then the knife came out, and he slashed the throat, and he's dead. So you know, it can you. Why did you? I'm not saying. You don't have to say anything or whatever, but you have to understand that any situation can in- involve l- a lethal consequences right away. And I, I think, um, you know, we, we don't sometimes we don't see that. Like you're like, oh, why'd you bump into me? Well, who the hell cares? Now you're dead. <laughs> it, it just makes no <laughs> sense. But it's also from a striking perspective. Um, I see a lot of I'm very critical of Muay Thai. You know, it's because Muay Thai, the paradigm, a lot of times is is based on competitive uh, orientation for making money in terms of gambling. So in the beginning, yeah. they just stand in front of each other and they kind of trade kicks and they don't they don't really move that much because there's this whole other side, context is king, where the gambling has to happen because that's where everybody makes money. And then they start fighting in the second and third mm-hmm. round. So what you're actually seeing is is something much more more than just fighting. It's about money making that has nothing to do with self-defense or anything like that. And I don't like to stand in front of the guy and trade things that can happen in, in almost any art. I want to pick on Muay Thai officially because Muay Thai is a great art. But I'm saying sometimes you see people just stand in front of each other and trade bombs. And I said, when I'm teaching my students, I'm like, if you guys both had knives right now, you're both dead. So when you're striking, imagine the person's trying to, sta- trying to stab you. Get out of the way. Hit him, get out. Hit him, get out. Move. Don't stay in the pocket and, and just get hit. And, and defense first. First, don't get hit. Bernard yeah. Hopkins talks about that. There's a great YouTube clip, a clip of him talking about. I mean, he fought. What? How was old was he? Forty something when he won his last. Yeah, and I, I yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll look that up. Yeah, I know he was quite old, and he was training. He, yeah. yeah, and uh, he's a very famous defensive fighter, and he said he lost a lot of TV time or fights because he was boring to watch because his defense, because he's a defensive fighter. I, I also know Hopkins. Why. Hopkins um, was in prison for a while, and I know. He said his prison time informed him, informed his fighting methods, you know, because so I'm sure, you know, he had some tricky, I don't know exactly, but he had some tricky scenarios where it was evasion and defense first, you know, Mm -hmm. because he, 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 what you were saying about the spectacle and the gambling sport, sport was originally invented pretty much for those ideas. It it has to be repeatable. Money needs to exchange hands. Right. I mean, that's what 
and you know, it, it's it's brilliant. It's a brilliant way to keep armies that are not fighting wars busy. You know, young guys busy. You know, fighting each other for money and not actually killing each other. And so the idea that it has to be spectacle, people forget that that's part of the game too. Like you were talking about with Muay Thai, it's 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 not real, in inverted commas, in the sense that it's real in its context, but it's not real as in that's the realest thing everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even MMA, and I'm a I'm a strong po- proponent of of fighting within the MMA rule set, but I also have all requirements for my students to have to spar with. We use a taser knife, a, 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 it's plastic, but it's shaped like a knife, and it has a very high electric charge. And or yesterday, I was I was uh, had a very small taser that I hid in my shorts and uh, pulled it out as I was rolling and, and tased my student, Philip. And, and, and as he had to deal with me, actually, then he, 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 he disarmed me a few times. We're on the ground because you don't know what that happened. Every student of mine has to understand what it's like to in close quarter with someone trying to, trying to kill you when they're not just barehanded. But, um, can, can, I, can I give you my opinion on short uh, knives? Of course, yes. It's interesting. And it, you actually you talked about it in another one of your interviews. Maybe it was even in the Barry interview again. I can't remember. So... Um, yes, I think they're a great training tool, especially for people that think they could take knives away from people, um, you know, like cops training or something yeah, like that. Yeah. I also think I love the idea that you're just kind of surprising people with it. What I will say, because I actually fought at the Dog Brothers Gathering 2007, I think. I did a couple of knife fights, like knife fights in inverted commas there with shock knives, is that uh, if, you, if it goes on too long after the first cut, I think you feel it. You can't feel it anymore when your adrenaline is up. Oh, so um, they lose their efficacy. Yeah, I, 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 that was my experience. No, you know, you're absolutely right because it depends on the brand you buy too. Because I noticed that exactly the charge goes down too. So I, I yeah. like the first one is really strong, and then the second and third are not as strong. So I make sure they're fully charged, and I keep it like about minute only and then we recharge and we go we, we swap out because i found i absolutely found the same thing the first charge is very 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 painful and the second one's not as bad and like by the fifth one it's like not even anything because of course there's only so much the battery can hold and also you know you're well, I also you're, think, yeah. yeah i think your yeah. adrenaline comes up and you're just like screw that guy rah, rah, rah. And I'll, yeah you know, i'll just take that right <laughs> yeah well you know what you know what I, I i think you know it depends which i'm a connoisseur of these shock these tasers it depends on how high the voltage is because there's some that yeah no you know, sure. when it's this really bad so the technology has maybe improved yeah days. no i i got tased yesterday and i screamed like a <laughs> like a newborn infant i was like because he, he he i was stabbing him and he grabbed and wrist locked me and made me stab myself and i was like yeah okay you won and, and yeah <laughs> and also like if if there's a we we play it like if there's a stab anywhere near the neck the body um, you know, it's just done. Like, you just know we got caught. You know, there has to be an understanding. We do it with striking, too. There has to be an understanding like, oh, I'm not hurting you now, but in reality, you'd be dead. So let's let's use some logic yeah. here. Yeah. You know, we- I, 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 put a, I put a photograph, a couple of photographs in my book um, that I got from um, a marine medic that, that I know. So I said, hey, I need some injury pictures in my book, just some slight ones, nothing like totally lethal. Can you send me some? Of course, then he sent me like three pages worth of really gross photographs. Um, the ones I put in the book are like the least gross. Um, but to, when people, that, that's one of the big things people say to me. It's like, oh, I'd take that cut. And like, really? No. <laughs> Which is why I put those two pictures in the book. Because 
knives are sharp knives are crazy it's like the amount of damage they can do um i mean i think it's a very interesting conversation about fight enders and honestly just to make it clear i don't teach knife fighting i teach sword play i don't want anybody getting the wrong idea that this is the place to learn how to come you know come and shank people there's plenty of people out there teaching how to do that that's not my trip i teach tactical thinking with swords because it's the, the quickest path to it but let's just talk about edged weapons in general um and things that end fights and things that kill people and things that you really don't want to get cut by are all different from each other. And I think people get very obsessed with the, ah, oh, we've got to go for the neck or something really important. I know a lot of the historic European martial artists in their tournaments, they're like, that cut wasn't hard enough and so it didn't do damage. You know, it's like, wow, really? You know, it's like, what kind of clothing are you wearing? Right. You know, um, how sharp is the blade? Um, how, you know, my teacher's favorite cut for self-defense purposes, he told me, was straight across the eyes or straight across the forehead. He's like, if you've got enough blood in your eyes or you can't see, you cannot chase me. Yeah. Also, another one, interesting. Absolutely nothing to do with that. Yeah, and interesting that I think is very neglected to think about from our my community, the unarmed community, is how much a nick in the femoral artery will. You're dead. You're dead in like four seconds. You know, like in the femoral artery, and they don't even think about it. I'm like, okay, you're going to open your legs like that? Slash, you're dead now. And and uh, so the understanding, I, I take privates from a physician on anatomy and understanding how it works to understand like how – he told me how in the ER – this is another physician – told me in the ER how a guy came in. He walked into the ER and he's like, yeah, I, I got this knife stuck in me. I was doing this thing and he's just talking and he says, call your family. And the, the guy's like, oh, I think I'm fine. He's like, no, call your family because the minute you pull that out, we've got about four seconds to repair the damage. If we don't, you're dead. And he's like, what? I feel fine. He's like, no, no, because it was like a like a Swiss Army knife kind of thing or something, right? And uh, Or a mm-hmm. bolt or something. I forgot. It wasn't a long thing, but it went in certain places. Like, And the guy walked in on his own power. He's like, yeah, I got this thing stuck in me. You know, I was doing something. And uh, and he's like, no, you're, you're going to die if I don't patch this up in four seconds. And uh, he yeah. died. And he died. And he, he literally, like, he was able to walk into the ER at the time. And uh, all this, the minute they pulled it out, he was, you know, they had to clamp it up and this and that. And, uh, and it was not successful. He, he did pass out. It passed away. So um, I'm sorry if I, I, I think we should have you on another, because I had such an amazing conversation with you, but I really wanted to participate as well. And I talk too much. My wife says that. <laughs> but um, but you, you're absolutely fan- fantastic. Where can, where can they buy The Hustler, your new book? Uh, it's on Amazon. Um, you can find The Hustler, which is actually the second book. The first book I wrote was called The Liar, The Cheat, and The Thief, Deception and the Art of Swordplay. And then the second one is called The Hustler, uh, Swordplay, and the Art of Tactical Thinking. Um, so, yeah, so they're both on Kindle and in paperback. Uh, they're just on there. So that's that's all. You can also see YouTubes of me and my teacher if you search on YouTube and search for Sunny Umpard. Um, my channel is Random Flow without any vowels in it, so you can find out what I do. Um, I have a Patreon page too, if anybody's interested in following that. Fantastic. Art of Deception. The Art of Deception. So, yeah. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, it's called and Patreon forward slash Art of Deception. Yeah. You, know, you know what I'm also going to do? I'm going to buy a copy of that book for the podcast, and we can have like a little bit of a, another raffle like we did for Barry's book. What do you think about that, Matt? Sounds great. Matt, do you have any closing thoughts? I'm going to go buy some knives. <laughs> and so, practice in the kitchen, right? Yeah, I'm gonna make soup tonight. They're uh, beautiful objects. They're absolutely singular. There's nothing else like them. A blade is an incredible human invention that only has one job is, you know, like a sword, really. I mean, knives can do many things, but swords, 
they have one job just to kill people. I mean, and it's this beautiful object that has this horrible darkness to it. You can see why in myth it's just always full of light and dark and ambiguity. They're, they're fascinating. Yeah, and, and there's so much um, mysticism attached to a sword, the symbol of, you know, King Arthur and his kingship was the sword, the symbol of the Japanese soul, even though tactically it wasn't true. Japanese used samurai used archer, archery much more, but the symbol of the soul of the warriors, the sword, there's so much imbued in that um, in that mythology of the sword is, is it's definitely true. Yeah, life and death right on a razor's edge. It, it's, it's the only thing that you can kill with that involves no effort. Yeah. Like it'll kill without no power associated with it until the, obviously the firearms were invented. But yeah, it's got a long history. Very weird, interesting thing. One one last thing. Any? Do you have any funny stories to share us? One last interesting or funny story before we go. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, yeah, one last story before you go. Oh, goodness. A funny story? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll share a story about Sonny, which is one of my favorites. Um, just talking about tactical thinking. Sonny was a dancer and he would go dancing to these nightclubs around the Bay Area where they would have competitions for money. And Sonny was an amazing dancer. He danced the hustle, which is why the book is actually called The Hustler. And um, all the women liked to dance with him because he was an amazing dancer. And um, he was at one nightclub and he won this thing and apparently pissed off somebody's boyfriend because this kind of gang that was, it was their territory were going to wait for him on the way out and kind of basically do him in. And he knew this was going to happen. We also knew that there was a bunch of cops out Saturday night, and apparently, I guess, they knew there was always going to be trouble. So he goes into the uh, bathroom. He undoes his cigarette packet. He was an avid smoker. He took out the tinfoil out of the cigarette packet. You've got to be old enough to understand these things. And he made a small blade-looking object. And as he walked out, he, he walked out and just kind of flashed this thing underneath his hand to these guys and basically said, I don't want to fight, I don't want to fight. And they all kind of slightly backed off for enough for him to get out and through the parking lot and to his car. And then immediately, because they'd got away, one of them went on over to the cops and said, that guy's got a knife, that guy's got a knife. And so immediately they went over there to check and he just crumpled the thing up in his hand. He was like, I don't have a knife. And they searched him and so he got away. Wow, very tactical thinking right there. That's a fascinating story. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was absolutely wonderful having you on. I look forward to much more collaboration. And, and we do have um, one thing in common. We're both uh, people who trained Livy alone. <laughs> <laughs> and Barry Eisler's yeah, well, character. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. This was great fun. Invite me to New York or come and visit California. I, absolutely. Fan 100%. Thank you so much. And if people want to find you, The Art of Deception and also Random Flow Without the Vowels and, um, and The Hustler on yeah, Amazon. Just Google. Yeah, you can Google Sonny Umpard. My name is Marcel Rome. It's a really weird name. It's not hard fantastic have a wonderful day and it's such an honor speaking with you i really think the listeners are going to enjoy it to either explore the knife world or just to take your uh Blade concept sword. Sword, 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 sword work Blade sorry 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 sword. sorry uh, <laughs> um and then and but also to take the more meta concepts that you really talk about in the book and improve their martial arts training right thank you so much that's what it was for yeah absolutely thank you so much too bye. wonderful bye-bye